Hear the word of God from Luke chapters verse, wait, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put your Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Good evening. Good evening. Feels like evening. Spring forward. Still waking up. It's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, Before we get started... Anybody struggling with any temptations today? (laughs) Nobody volunteered. That's a surprise. That's a surprise. Let's pray together. God, we give thanks for the opportunity to hear the word of God, to try to make sense of it and apply it to our lives, open our hearts and our minds and our ears. And I pray that uh, the words that I say might aid and not hinder. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want to propose to you that everybody at one time or another gets stuck, including dogs. This is Savannah, my uh, now deceased 16-year-old beagle. See that slobber hanging out of her mouth uh, right there? She's got something. Her nose and appetite absolutely drove her existence for 16 years. She would roll, we take her on a rock walk she'd roll she'd smell she'd eat the nastiest of all things and we could leave nothing i mean nothing on the edge of the counter because it would get pulled off or if we left the dining room table for just a moment and left a chair kind of on the chair up on the table enjoying scraps we always wondered what would be the limit If she had an unlimited supply, what would be the limit for her to stop? And we found out. She got stuck. (laughs) That is a giant peanut butter uh, pan from Sam's. We came home after a whole day and she was laying in there with the stuck and she had eaten this much of the peanut butter. Just leave that up for just one more second. I mean, 
It's really quite fun. I have a really gross story that I can tell you afterwards if you want, but I won't. <laughs> so I suspect that each of us knows what it's like to be stuck and frustrated by it. We experience it when we're in traffic, and I'm kind of impatient, or when we're in the back of any long, slow-moving line. Whether kids, do you get frustrated in the like amusement park rides? You know, and you're, if you don't have a fast pass or whatever, you're you're stuck in the back, you know. Or maybe, or maybe some of you have experienced this. You go to the grocery store. I go usually Sunday afternoons before the portico, and I run to the grocery store, and and. And it's that person, it's a really long line, you know that person, and they're fumbling around and they pull out their checkbook. <laughs> and you've just been to church, but you kind of want to kill them. <laughs> or maybe I should speak for myself. Um, or worse, worse, you're at a gathering, <laughs> you're at a gathering and the trapper person is coming your way. You know the trapper person that's going to talk to you for 15 minutes and you can't escape and you feel stuck. We've all had minor frustrations like that, haven't we? But there are some more significant ones, aren't there? You're stuck in an unhealthy relationship, or you're stuck in a job that absolutely you loathe, or you're mired in unforgiveness or bitterness, or you're feeling morally superior over some group of people or you hate, and you're stuck in it. Or perhaps the talons of addiction are buried into you or somebody you love. Or you have some wound that maybe even happened a long time ago that's plaguing your, your heart and your mind. In those situations, we feel like Savannah with the Peter Pan jar in her head. We don't know how to get it off. You see, stuckness is something that's well chronicled throughout all the Bible, especially when the people of God are called to something bigger and larger. In the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible as we know it, the Israelites are heading toward the promised land and Moses is leading them, but they keep getting stuck how come because they keep falling prey to the temptations that are in the wilderness in their old life they keep looking backward at egypt and saying if we could just go back there we know what it's like being in the desert stuck is hard for 40 years they did that and then right out of the gate, in the New Testament, here we have Jesus. He's going to take the same journey. He's going to go to the same desert. And he's going to experience some of the same temptations. Except that he's going to give us, you and me and us as a church, a guide for how do we, how do we respond to God's call in our lives in the midst of heart-wrenching and gravitational pull of temptation that often are very subtle. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, just like the Israelites back then, just like the disciples, we are called, you are called, there's something in your life you're called to, and I want to suggest it's deeper love. 
Paul says that we're, live a life worthy of your calling. Live a life worthy of your calling. This is the call to follow Jesus. This is the call to make God's love real. This is the call to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor, including those you don't like or you don't know, as yourself. To become more like Jesus. To reflect Jesus' love in the world. That's what you're called to. That's what we're called to. And we're tempted to not do it sometimes. Aren't we? So the question isn't here, I want to suggest to you, whether or not we'll have temptations. That's not the question. But will we allow them to draw us and block us from love? So here's my question for you. Are you what are you tempted with right now? Maybe you don't even know. What is tempting you away from God? What's gumming you up? Where do you feel stuck from following Jesus more fully? And if, something ha- if something's popped into your mind, I want you to hold that as we listen to the rest of the scripture and, and, and talking about this. So our Lenten journey, is, uh, as Sally said, is about getting unstuck. To clean out the stuff in our lives that's preventing us from fuller love so that we can live more as resurrection people. The road to the cross, I want to suggest to you, is the angioplasty that blows out the plaque that constricts our relationship with God. It just blows it out if we let it. But we can't skip right to the empty tomb. That's where most of us want to go. We have to go along the road. And each of these Sundays during Lent, I encourage you to be here or be at one of the services or watch online if you miss. We'll give you practical guidance on how God can help us get unstuck from some aspect of our human condition. So let's see if this one can help us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus being quite literally stuck in the desert for 40 days, tempted by evil. But it's important to remember what was going on right before that to get the context on why this is so important. And there's some little clues in the first verse that we'll go through um, before. But all three of them also include right before Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. And in each one, he kind of hears this affirmation. You are my son, the beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. You are are my son, the beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. So, in Luke, one difference is, it places a long lineage of uh, Jesus' ancestry right before the desert. So it goes baptism, long lineage. Most of the other ones have baptism, boom, right right going into the desert. And it, it, it helps to ask the question, what, why, why did they do that? And here's a key detail. The writer wants you to know this about Jesus. They, he wants you to know who Jesus is, where he came from, and he traces him back all the way to Adam, the first man. And he also wants you to know where he's going. Who he is, where he came from, and where he's going. It's a good 
thing for us to remember too. So let's look at verse 1. Sam, can you throw verse 1 up real quick? Jesus entered the desert full of the Holy Spirit. Right? Full of the Holy Spirit. And he was led by the Spirit. That's curious, isn't it? So Jesus has this mountaintop experience where he hears the words of God saying, I choose you, I love you, you're my beloved. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Oh, by the way, now you got to go to the desert. That's curious, isn't it? Pretty interesting to me. So the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to confront these temptations. And it means that we're going to be tempted too. And as real and as challenging as they are, temptations sometimes are the opportunities, are the fertile soil upon which we can grow. So let's review them quickly, the three temptations. The first one, the devil invites Jesus to quench his hunger pains. And he knows that he can do it. Right? He knows that he can do it. He knows that he can feed himself. He was just as firm, and now he's being challenged to prove it. He's testing, he's testing Jesus and say, okay, you've been affirmed. Okay, let's see it. Let's see if you can do it. You see, what the devil does, or what the spirit of evil, or what the voice in our head often does, is it tries to sow doubt about our identity. You can almost hear the whisper, can't you? If you are who you say you are, that might come in a different form for me and for you. See, temptations stir doubt. The temptations you have going on in your life are stirring doubt in your soul, I guarantee it. And I suspect you have heard them. Whispers of not being good enough, smart enough, or experienced enough. You have been, maybe you're a Christian your whole life, but you keep falling down and failing in an area. Or maybe you're brand new and you're telling yourself, I don't have anything to give. I don't know anything. I haven't even re- read this Bible thing. If you are who you say you are, what are the words that are ringing in your ear? When you're alone. Maybe the wounds of your past. Or some pattern of relationship. Are whispering to you. I confess. For me. That doubt sometimes. Plague me. The second temptation. The devil showed Jesus in an instant. All the kingdoms of the world. And in Luke and Matthew. They're switched. Uh, Luke puts this one second. And Matthew it's third. And he promises his glory and his power and his authority. And he just needed, you just need to worship me. This temptation for Jesus attempted to divert him for the way that God has called him to go about his mission. In other words, he offered Jesus shortcuts. And these shortcuts looked really good. What does Lucifer mean? The bearer of light. Sometimes temptations look good. They look attractive. And they looked attractive to Jesus because they would get him to the imagined goal. 
the imagined ideal. But it really mattered how he got there. He offered, hey, I'll let you expel Rome in a minute. I'll give you everything. That looks like a good idea, right? Israel is being oppressed. I'll let you do it in a minute. We'll just get it. We'll get it done right now. You can rule over all your people with power and authority and make everything right. He could have taken the road that loves power, but what Jesus took was the road of powerless love. He chose it through the cross, through obedience and humility. And you know what? I suspect that we'll be offered shortcuts too. We'll live will be invited to live in ways that don't honor God or worship God, ways that leave God behind so we could rely on our own selves to get to the goal more quickly. We'll be, t- we'll be tempted to run after things like money and prestige and what other people think of us. The last temptation in Luke The devil uses Psalm 91. You should read it, 11 and 12. He uses the the words from that, that psalm because apparently he knows the scripture too. That's kind of disturbing, isn't it? He urges, he takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple which was everything that Israel thought was important. And he said, throw yourself off because angels are surely gonna come help you out. And see, Jesus was tempted to use his supernatural gifts, again to test God, because temptations center on ourselves. So not only do they stir doubt, not only do they offer shortcuts, but they also tempt us to focus on our giftedness. Now we probably won't be uh, tempted to jump off uh, a high temple, but I suspect that we will be tempted to use our gifts for only ourselves, to elevate ourselves rather than to elevate God. I know many of you have extraordinary gifts. I know that. My question is, how are you employing them for Jesus Christ in the world? How are you, Evelyn, fostering them? I didn't even know that was going to run this morning, but I thought, wow, making God's love real. How are you allowing God to use the natural and spiritual gifts in your life for the kingdom? The battleground for these temptations is in our mind. We're not going to see a little horned thing and a a thing come and we're going to hear it in our mind, in our heart, in the quiet of the night or maybe in the busyness of our activity. We often ignore or rationalize or hide them, but to live a life worthy of the calling that each of us has received, we must engage them. We must engage them so we can remember who God is, who Christ is, who we are, and who we're called to be in this world here and now as we wait for later and Jesus shows us a way. You might be thinking, yeah, all right, great. This guy's Jesus. I'm not. I can't shake that peanut butter jar off my head. You're right. You can't. You're absolutely right. 
but. Paul asserts in 1 Corinthians 10 this. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what, what you can bear. And, and when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God is faithful and will give you a way out. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, I want to say to you, the Holy Spirit is working in you in a powerful way and can help in declawing the grip of temptation. You too can be full of that Holy Spirit and rely on God. And if you haven't, if you haven't accepted Jesus, I want you to know that God is chasing after you in grace and in love in a powerful way that you might not even be knowing about right now. Yet I will also acknowledge that having the Holy Spirit, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian or you're trying to explore it or not, is different than calling on it. Many of us experience and have the Holy Spirit, but when when temptation comes along, we just rely on good little old me. So like Jesus, a way to engage these temptations, whatever you had in your head earlier, is with Scripture. Scripture is an anchor in troubled times. And I want to suggest to you that you should find a go-to Scripture and memorize it. Find one that's applicable to your temptation and whatever, you're, whatever you've got going on and hold on to it for dear life. And I want to just offer three around Doubt shortcuts in self, okay? These might, may or may not work for you, but they worked for me. The first one is doubt, which is rooted in fear. So 2 Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I memorize that when I've been in times of doubt about my identity and who I am. The second is the counter to shortcuts. From Philippians, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So, 20 years ago, I, uh, I dipped tobacco for many, many years, like a really long time. And I didn't use this scripture, but a shortened version of it, which was take it away. And so I'd go into the 7-Eleven, which was my trigger point, and I'd be standing in front of all the Copenhagen, and I'd close my eyes, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. People think, would think I was crazy. But that was basically, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. The last centers on, the last temptation which centers on us rather than God in mission is this. From Hebrew, run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. You've got a race marked out for you. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Those are just three ways that you can anchor yourself in the scripture. So I'm going to give you another way that you can deal with temptations. It's not in this scripture, but I think it runs throughout our our tradition. It's accountability to others. There are some temptations and some circumstances that we cannot navigate without other people with other Christian brothers and sisters. We need them to take off the peanut butter jar 
And when, we're, when the food's on the edge of the counter, we need to call somebody and say, the food is on the edge of the counter and I want to pull it off. But that takes vulnerability, doesn't it? Because we want to have our Sunday smiles on, don't we? I'm doing great. My wife and I have been arguing all week long, but I'm having a good time today. But you never say that, do you? When things are going good and when things are going challenging, we need people in our lives to walk with us. We need them to help. If you don't have a group of men or women in your life that really know you, I encourage you to write me a note and we'll figure out a way to connect you with Nikki and groups. Last but not least, we must remember grace. The grace of Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. Whether you've actually heard it or experienced it, I want you to know that God looks at you and your failings and in your brokenness and in your glory and in your righteousness and says, you are my daughter. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. God loves you beyond your wildest dreams. And if you haven't experienced that and you don't know that, just believe that I believe it. That will get you started. You are forgiven in whatever you have done or failed to do. Confessing and turning around is the beginning. Thomas Merton, one of my favorite Christian mystics, said this about temptation. He said the biggest human temptation is to settle for too little. That's what temptations of doubt, that's what temptation of shortcuts, and that's what temptations of centering on ourselves do. We create lives where we settle for too little. Use scripture. Use the church. Use other brothers and sisters and remember that you are forgiven and God's grace is available. Let's pray. God, I ask uh, that these brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever we all are tempted by, that, you, that we would believe that you give us a way out and that you would show us a way out moment by moment, day by day, week by week, that you would empower us through the Holy Spirit. Help us be people who live lives worthy of the calling that we receive. Show us the way. In the name of the Father, the Creator, in the name of the Son, Jesus, the Redeemer, in the name of the Holy Spirit, Sustainer, we pray. Amen. We respond uh, by giving of our gifts to the church through love, through knowing that we're making God's love real.